Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Love Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tempest-Bye. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg. Of course, we're going to talk about trades, we're going to talk about trade rumors, trades that will happen, won't happen, and everything else. But first, we're going to hop right into the Celtics Lab, because we have Daisha Smith, Associate Editor of Slam Magazine, on the whole. And Daisha Sway Smith, you just wrote this excellent piece on Jalen Brown. So, Sway, how are you? And welcome. Thank you so much. I am doing amazing. Thank you guys for having me on the pod. Yeah, of course. Honors all on the side. Uh, we're going to do a lot of peeking behind the curtains. And kind of the first one is as soon as this dropped a few days ago, we reached out because we we loved the piece and we wanted to learn more about it. So uh, for folks who are listening, I'm sure 90% of fans have seen the cover at the very least. This Jalen Brown and the cover of Slam Magazine playing chess. Um, and hopefully folks have read it, but if not, after this, certainly go check it out. So, um, Daisha said I can call her by her nickname Sway, so I'm going with Sway from here on out. Go for Sway. it. Love it. Let's talk about the piece. We're going to hop into the Celtics lab. And what I like to do is kind of just soup to nuts. Can you tell us how an article like this takes shape? So yeah. from the first initial idea to print, how does this come about? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure, you know, as you guys know, we did the Jason Tatum cover, uh, slam 241. Um, and we don't, not that we don't usually do it, but back to back covers, slam covers of the same of players in the same team, um, don't necessarily happen super, super often, but, you know, obviously Jalen's ascension, um, and his story and his impact in Boston, um, really stood out to us. And so when, um, our editor-in-chief, Adam Figman, um, you know, kind of was like, hey, we're, we're going to do a Jalen Brown cover. I immediately started thinking about the story and, you know, the story angle, but also this really profound moment that Jalen's in right now. Um, I knew, especially being from Boston, I knew the impact that he's had in the community. Um, and I just thought, you know, the, the timing of everything um, was just very divine and 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 very special. And so um, for me, when I started out, I guess thinking of the story, because um, for us, the, the cover concept and the story both go hand in hand, but I really do kind of um, kind of think about them in different ways. Um, I really wanted to, you know, think I, I really wanted to tell a story that hadn't really been told about about Jalen yet, you know. I feel like a lot of people have talked about his you know, his intellect um, and his activism. Um, but I really wanted to kind of get into his mind a little bit of how he views himself, because um, I felt like that had a lot to do with the way that he's playing, especially now. Um, and so that's where I kind of started out with the story. And then with the cover, um, one of our producers, Marcus Stevens, who shot the cover, we immediately knew that we wanted to do something so different. Uh, Marcus also shot the Jason Tatum cover. Um, and so we were like, they're, you know, two very different people. They also have the fire and ice, you know, kind of nickname type of thing. So we immediately, we both unspokenly were like white background because Tatum's was like a black background. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That like plays off of the, the fire and ice. Um, and then the chess idea was something that we, we both were, were thinking about, but it was really Marcus that was like, you know, maybe we should have him play chess. And we were thinking of, you know, different ideas for that. Um, and then, believe it or not, the, the cover image was the last image that we shot in the shoot. So we did all of the other images and then we were like, hey, Jalen, we have this fun idea. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, fine. And he ended up loving it, which was super cool. Um, but yeah, that's where that's where we really kind of started. Sway, it's interesting that you highlight the contrast between Tatum and Brown on those covers. 
Um, and the Tatum cover, you know, one thing that struck me about that is it's kind of a more traditional slam cover in a way. You know, it feels like it's reminiscent of previous covers that uh, other, you know, slam athletes have had in a kind of, in a cool way, like in a kind of callback way. Jalen's is very different. Like if you look at other slam covers, even the ones you have framed behind you, those mm -hmm. ones, you know, with John Morant and Zion, they kind of, they're, they're kind of standard. Jalen, you know, he's leaning back, he's playing chess in this kind of white background. I guess I'm curious, um, was that part of the process when it like came to trying to highlight Jalen as an individual and kind of how unique of a player he is? Totally, yeah. I mean, I, I had read, you know, that he had once said that chess is like very comparable to life. And so with that, you know, I had already been thinking about chess. I'm also a huge fan of The Queen's Gambit, the movie on Netflix. Um, and so, you know, I was like, chess is a really, really cool game. But I think also, you know, kind of thinking about playing the game of life, too. That was also something that that really stood out to me. And, you know, the, the slam covers are iconic. Um, and I was just telling someone about this, you know, that like, it almost feels like when we drop a cover sometimes, right? It It's like this like cultural moment. And so for me, I was like, Jalen is just so different. Um, you know, he has made such a huge impact in Boston, but he's also just very different. He used to make his own beats. Um, he's super into chess. He's super into reading, um, things like that. And so, yeah, I think we just really wanted to go with like a different direction, but then also play off of this, like making power moves, playing, you know, chess, not checkers. Um, and, you know, really like when it comes to the game of life, the game of, of, of basketball, um, you know, we, we just really wanted to just do something completely different for sure. I have two uh, incidental questions about the chessboard. First, yeah. uh, he's making a move with the king. Is there any symbolism there? Or that's just that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I kind of mentioned this in the story, but um, when we were shooting the cover, um, we were just very much so like, just start playing, like, just do like whatever you would do. And he started playing the game against himself. There wasn't, there wasn't like, someone on the other side, like doing it. Um, and then he just, you know, happened to like pick up the King, or I think maybe Marcus was like, you know, just like pick up one of the pieces and it happened to be the King. A lot of people are like, oh, the board is scrambled or, oh, it's like a specific chess move. And I'm like, look, I have never won a game of chess, so I'm really not a chess expert, um, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious. I mean, it's a, it's a bold move to right? play that early in the game. Um, my students, incidentally, are really into chess right now, so this was well-timed. One last quick cheeky question about the chessboard. Yeah. Does, does Slam have a chessboard, or did you have to go out and buy one? Yeah, so I actually have, I have like a, a glass chessboard at my house, but all I couldn't like find all of the pieces. Um, but yeah, I went out and got a few chess boards. I really, really wanted to get like a green and white chess board. And this is like a whole backstory, but like the, we were playing so much off of the chess idea. Originally, you know, one like really crazy idea was like, to build a six foot chess board and like, you know, maybe have oh, a hand like, on it and like yeah. be one of the pieces. Um, but yeah, I went out and like grabbed a few chess boards um, and I'll be bringing it to our office. So we'll have the chess set that was on the, the cover, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's wicked cool. All right. I, I have a few more questions about the, the story itself yeah, uh, as in the process. And then Alex is going to ask you about, you know, Jalen, the basketball player. Um, the, 
the headline and then the, the print headline are a tiny bit different, but the one that runs online is Celtics superstar Jalen Brown is on a mission to fill his higher purpose. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks know that sometimes the writer and the headline writer are two different people. That's a pretty bold headline. Can you tell us about where it came from and how many iterations it came it came through and whatnot? I wrote it. Um, cool. cool. I'm also, I also run slamonline.com. Um, and so when we drop stories, I build the stories on the back end of the website and publish them. We all kind of work together on the headlines. But yeah, I wrote that headline. Um, and I think for that with me, I was you know, we've had different kind of, you know, headlines like, oh, so-and-so is, is ready to do this. But with that headline, I, I was thinking on it and I was like, I think, you know, fulfilling his higher purpose, I think that can go in so many different ways. You know, that has to do with, with basketball. But what really stood out to me was when he said, you know, that he felt like the reason why he got talent was to make an impact. Um, that really, really like stood out to me because I was like, whoa, this is a superstar. This is someone that is, you know, obviously an incredible athlete, but, you know, to think like the reason why you were given talent, this incredible talent that we're all talking about and, and writing about is to make a difference. I was like, that has to do with like a higher purpose, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very bold headline, but I just wrote it and published it. <laughs> I was going to say, as someone who writes about Jalen Brown, not infrequently, superstar stood out to me. <laughs> Because um, you could have gotten away with star, you could have gotten away with all star, you could have said a lot of things yeah. with superstar. Yeah, um, and originally, I think I, I was going to do Jalen Brown is on a mission to fulfill his higher purpose. And then I was just like, you know what, he's a superstar. We don't we, we don't need to like, hide away from it. We don't need to sugarcoat it. We don't need no, he's a superstar. And whether you know, people might have thought that before or didn't think that before, I'm telling you that that's the case. So that was kind of my approach for sure. And hey, that's, I mean, Slam sits in the culture for a reason. I think that, that that's a cool mantle. Um, anything that didn't make the final cut? Uh, I, I don't want to tease. I want people to read it, so I don't want to just digest everything. But is there a, an anecdote or something Jalen mentioned that didn't quite have legs, but uh, was thought-provoking? Yeah, we talked about balance. Um, I had asked him about, you know, because balance is something I feel like he's, he's talked about that a lot when it comes to his game. Um, but I was really curious about that with him as a person. Um, and he, he kind of touched on, you know, both how does he stay balanced personally, but also when it comes to the team, I would say that that was probably the quote and the anecdote that didn't make the cut. Um, and when I was writing the story, you know, I would love to fit everything in. Um, I would love to write like a 6,000 word cover story if I could. Um, I might have maybe tried in the past, but, um, you know, I would definitely say that that I think didn't make the fit just because, you know, there was so much other things. And, you know, I felt like it was something that he had kind of talked about before. So, sure. So the story's online now. Is it in print also? Or yes, is it, it is. Yep. All right. Um, well, and the it in the magazine the headline the the headline is um it's it's divine energy that was the headline that we kind of chose in the mag. Uh, having read the story, that checks out <laughs> in a pretty big way. Um, <laughs> all right, so folks should grab it, take a look at it, get the digital and the the paper copy. Um, but now, Alex, I know that you want to ask Sway about Jalen Brown, the basketball player. But first, let me quickly pause the action and talk about our friends over at Bet Online, your number one source for all your Super Bowl betting this season. You can get analysis of every play, every prop, and every point at betonline.ag. You'll find the latest odds and team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And with betting options for everything from the national anthem to the halftime show and even the Gatorade bath at the end, 
BetOnline is your Super Bowl headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to check out the most comprehensive Super Bowl info on the web. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. To get in on all the betting action, betonline.ag, where the game starts. Alex? All right. So thank you again, Sway, for coming on. This has been a blast, and uh, we'll keep you here with a few more questions. But um, so really quickly, um, one of the things that you kind of highlighted in the piece is uh, Jalen's relationship to the media, NBA media at large. Um, of course, Jalen is once again in the news as a result of some questionable trade buzz around Kevin Durant, uh, something that was referenced in the piece. I think Cameron and I both are a little dubious of the sourcing on that news, but uh, nonetheless, he is in the news again and it's a clickbait industry. Um, and I guess I'm curious from your perspective, having talked to him and kind of gotten in, I think a more, I don't know, a, a slightly closer position than a lot of media members would, um, what did, what do people get wrong about Jalen Brown? And you can expand this to the media and then the fans as well. Like, wh what do people get wrong about JV? Yeah, I think one thing that we feel really passionate about here at Slam is like respecting the game. That's our motto, but also respecting the players. And I think that that's something like at the end of the day, these these athletes are humans, you know, and like, you know, especially considering, you know, and, and he, he touched on this, right. Like when he first came into the league, you know, and, and, and he's had some highs and some lows, but I think at the end of the day, they're humans, you know, and like, I think that's something that, to be honest, I feel like the media sometimes not forgets, but doesn't prioritize, you know what I mean? Like, it's so easy for us as, you know, people that, that cover basketball to be like, Oh, you know, they, they had a, a, a terrible game, you know, and just pick them apart. But I mean, I played sports in college, you know, there's a lot that goes into performance, whether it's mental health and things like that. So, um, but I feel like when it comes to Jalen, what people might get wrong or might not really know as personally. And one thing that really stood out to me is just how insightful and like extremely like introspective he is. Um, you know, every question that I asked, whether it was about basketball or not about basketball, just had to do with like a much deeper meaning. Um, and I do feel like that's something that, you know, sometimes with these athletes, it can be like, oh, you know, they're just, you know, they just think so deeply about things or, oh, maybe this is just like the way that they're trying to come off. But it became super clear that like that really is who he is. Um, and it, it's not just, you know, like for PR or to kind of be this, you know, Boston figure, like he really genuinely cares and and is genuinely in the community which I thought was like super powerful yeah I wonder if you could just expand on that last piece a little bit about Jalen's community impact because it seems like that is a thing that is referenced throughout the piece that he has a pretty significant uh presence in Boston generally and in particularly in Boston's black community and I guess I'm I'm wondering if you could just expand a little bit on that and obviously like don't you don't need to give away the whole piece but like <laughs> just what was it like talking to him about that yeah honestly I mean as someone who's I mean I'm from Boston Dor born and raised I'm from Dorchester specifically um you know as someone who's actually from the city I would say that that was something that I was super super curious about is you know how does he feel about Boston you know obviously and he said it himself, you know, that there's a lot of misconceptions about Boston, especially when it comes to like the racial wealth disparity. But, um, you know, I think that 
what you know one thing that was super compelling and actually during the interview I started just like snapping off camera and I was just like yes uh because you know like just him you know saying how important it is to recognize the issues in Boston how and how important it is for someone to say something um that was something where I was like you know story aside slam title aside like slam cover aside like that was super important to me personally. Um, and I and in the piece, I won't reveal too, too much, but you know, even hearing that one of his favorite restaurants is my favorite restaurant, and it's it's a restaurant that's not far from where I grew up. Like uh that immediately I was like, oh, like you're like really in the city. You're not just hanging out in like Seaport or like whatever, whatever. Like you're actually going to Hyde Park and like eating the food there and eating like local businesses. Um, I thought that was just like super, super dope that, you know, he's not only like trying to like make a difference in, in Boston, but actually be a part of the of the community for sure. Really interesting. And, you know, I think might shed some light on the fact that he's like kind of perpetually in trade rumors and the fact that, uh, you know, he is going to be getting um, free agency is coming pretty soon for Jalen Brown. I, I think yeah. it's kind of really important to consider kind of his relationship to Boston and how that's grown and changed over time. Uh, And obviously the article touches on that a little more. Yeah. Um, And I think add to that too, um, you know, what, what he had said about Bill Russell, but also just playing for the franchise. Like that was another thing, you know, that, that really stood out to me and, you know, playing for an organization like the Celtics, um, you know, we, we, Boston is, is a sports city. Um, I know that you guys know that. Um, you know, that was like another thing too that I was wondering was like, how do you, how do you, how does someone handle the responsibility that comes with that? Um, and so for those who haven't read the article, the very last line or the, the second to last line, it is that like it was something that I, I was pondering a lot, right? Like you are an NBA superstar, you're representing a huge franchise that has an incredible legacy you're not only, you know, playing the best basketball of of your career thus far, but you're also like one of the biggest figures in the city. Like, how do you handle that? And, you know, when I said, but this is Jalen Brown that we're talking about, it became very clear when I spent time with him that he, you know, knows how to handle all of that. And, 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 and he wants to, for sure. So we talked a lot about Jalen's relationship to Boston and his relationship to the Celtics. Um, Did you touch at all on Jalen's relationship to his co-star Jason Tatum, which really seems like whenever you end up talking about in the media, uh, the Celtics, it always starts with Tatum and Brown, like as that sentence. So did, did we touch on that at all? Yeah, I actually, I was, that was something that I thought a lot about when I was preparing for the interview. Uh, especially because we had done the Jason Tatum cover first. Um, I was very much so like, do I want to, you know, ask about his relationship with, with Tatum? Um, But to be honest with you, I really wanted it to just be about him. I felt like we had already talked about, you know, Tatum's uh, ascension and how incredible he is. Um, And so I very much so was like, oh, like, do I want to go there? But then to be honest, I felt like so many people had, and you're absolutely right. Like, I feel like when people do mention him, they do mention Tatum and rightfully so. I mean, they're an incredible duo, like making history right before our eyes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I purposefully just kept it focused on him. Makes sense. 
All right, well, we'll get you out of here on this one. Thanks again so much for your time. Um, just curious, you know, we, Cameron, myself, and Justin uh, really liked the piece. We really enjoyed all of the commentary that it came with. And we would recommend that after you're done listening to this podcast, if you still haven't read it, folks, please go and read the latest piece in Slam Magazine from Daisha Sway Smith. Um, what has the feedback been for this? Like, have you received more feedback from, you know, kind of people around? What, what are people saying about this piece to you? Yeah, so when when it was like the final minutes leading up to us dropping the cover and the story, I was so nervous. I wasn't sure how people were going to take it. That was also the first time we'd ever had a board game on the cover of Slam. So I was like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if people are going to rock with it. I'm totally not sure. But honestly, the feedback, I mean, I've, I've been so appreciative, but to have the feedback from like people from my neighborhood, you know, my family, my friends, but also people from the city, um, it's just been amazing and, and, and super surreal. Um, and I think one like comment or tweet that, that, that really stood out to me was, you know, like, thank you for really humanizing him, you know, especially during a time when not every athlete is humanized as much. Um, and so that like really just, just meant a lot to me. Um, you know, there, there have been some people, you know, talking about, you know, oh, Jalen has said this in the past or whatever, whatever, but overall the, the feedback has been incredible. So I'm super appreciative. Well, Tasha Smith, again, associate editor at Slam. Thanks so much. Um, it's going to be really an awkward transition because we're about to talk about the trade deadline and it's, that's not always the most human endeavor. That's, um, that's just kind of a, a weird chess game in and of itself. Um, so we'll try to hold on to that, that messaging because that's important. I'll also tell folks that while you're perhaps watching this on YouTube, that Slam has a behind the scenes look at this piece over on YouTube. So while we're continuing to sing your praises, Sway, uh, the YouTube video is pretty good too. Anyways, Deja uh, Sway-Smith, next time you're at the garden, uh, let me know. And otherwise, thanks for coming on. I will. Thank you guys so much. I, I really am honored. This is also the first uh non-slam podcast that I've been on so I oh. really appreciate you guys you know in inviting me on and reading my story and supporting the story and the cover it really means so much so thank you thanks to you for coming on sweet perfect okay I'm gonna jump but thank you guys so much it was great meeting you hopefully yeah. I will see you soon yeah sure. and you know we'll be sure to have you back on some point soon definitely I would love to I would be honored. And I also listen to this podcast. I listened to your episode on Friday. Hey, there so we go. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> really, really dope. So thank you guys so much. Cool. Thanks. All right. Appreciate thank it. you. Bye. See you, We're not really blowing smoke here. That, that piece is really worth your time. So go check out Slam Magazine's most recent edition with Jalen Brown, as brought to you by Deja Smith, the associate editor over at Slam. Alex, another, another podcast where I have to make a, a time stamp because anything could happen in the next uh few moments it is 6 30 eastern time on tuesday the trade deadline is 3 p.m eastern time thursday i think i have that right and we have a lot of fat to chew um i'm going to start with one that we can kind of cross off the board which is it seems like brooklyn does not want to trade kevin durant um there's been a lot of strong messaging suggesting they don't want to trade him right now um and unless Boston gets really proactive about it, it doesn't seem like that that's really a story worth telling. So I'm willing to eat some crow on that because that would be a biggie, but we can 
sidestep the Kevin Durant stuff, I think. Yeah. Instead, we'll, we'll get into like the more pertinent stuff. Um, you want to talk about Kyrie at the end? Yeah, let's save Kyrie for the end because I have a lot of thoughts on that one. And uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. So Tuesday evening, here's where we are at right now. Um, I'm pulling from specifically reporting from Keith Smith over at Celtics blog, um, Mike Scotto over at Hoops Hype, and uh, Jared and Jay over at The Athletic, Jared Weiss and Jay King. So this is an aggregate of a bunch of different reports, but it sounds like Boston's preferred method is to trade some of their extra second round picks that they have and maybe sweeten the deal with Peyton Pritchard. It doesn't seem like they have an appetite for trading much more, but that at the very least is what's being reported. Um, as we know, that this is like, you know, the week where there's all sorts of smoke screens and innuendos and things like that. But that's uh, what we think is true as of this moment. What do you do with that information? Well, I think it just kind of gets back to the same thing that I've been saying for a couple of episodes now, which is that I really think it's way more likely that you're going to see a Celtics move to shore up the kind of deep bench rotation pieces and try and add that way. You know, the Celtics are 38 and 16 right now. They still have the best record in the league. Um, and they're, they've been missing Marcus Smart now for about three weeks. And while the play has been somewhat inconsistent, um, for the most part, they're treading water. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that Smart it will be out until after the All-Star break, based yeah. on the way things are going. But um, in the meantime, I would be really surprised if they do a big rock the boat type of move where they fundamentally, you know, reset their rotation in a major way. Um, so when you see Pritchard and multiple seconds and maybe some protected firsts here and there, I, I, what that I think tells you in large part is that the Celtics might be looking for maybe one more guy that they can kind of rely on in their rotation for the playoffs. Outside of that, I don't see anything particularly major happening. And I think it's worth speculating whether they are going to try and look for that in a trade or in a buyout. Yeah, it seems to me that if they could get someone a little more athletic or taller than Peyton Pritchard, that would be nice because then you kind of have like a shooting guard wing kind of combo. Um, or if you could get a, a big that's a little more mobile than Luke Cornett, those are improvements to be made. But um, I don't know. I spent the past few weeks and months saying, it's hard to contend for a championship. And if you got chips, push them in the table. Uh, it's really just impossible to kind of find that trade though. Um, by process of elimination, it's just like Boston doesn't have the ammo and as has been said many times, those big moves were Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White. Reporting uh, from across the, the NBA zeitgeist kind of suggests that Derek White is untouchable unless you really bowl Boston over with an intense offer. I suspect as the co-president of the Derek White fan club, you agree with that assessment from Brad Stevens? I certainly do. And, you know, for what it's worth, Derek has been terrific, particularly when Marcus has been out, you know, the other night against mm -hmm. the Pistons. He was the second best player on the floor behind Jason Tatum. Um, and he's just provided a level of stability that I think the Celtics really have been relying on in this stretch, uh, you know, confident ball handler. He's, he's probably the Celtics best rim pressure guy that isn't an all-star at this point. Um, and, you know, he's been a fabulous defensive player all year. I think we'll certainly get uh, some all defense consideration at the very least for second team. 
Um, I would have a really hard time seeing a situation where the Celtics would find a player that they value more than Derek Derek White for the role that he's in. Um, I, I just feel like that guy's not going anywhere. Yeah, last night, I know they were playing the Pistons, but Derek White and Robert Williams were so good. Um, Boston has great depth. It's just like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the frame too, is like every NBA lab podcast in America is, you know, wringing their hands over what trade is going to happen or not. When you're the defending Eastern Conference champions, you usually don't make a big in-season trade because uh, it's not worth rocking the boat and you already have your ducks in a row. So yeah. we're doing our due diligence, but again, by process, process of elimination, I don't see how Boston can make a big move. A point that I, I want to make that um, Ryan Bernardoni made was that trading one first-round pick actually makes it way harder to trade multiple in the future. And so a mini all-in move uh, might not be worth it because then, uh, because of the, uh, what is it, the Stetson rule, you can't trade multiple. Stetson. Yeah. Stetson, Stetson's the hat. <laughs> um, whatever. Uh, so Derek White off the table. Yeah. First round picks off the table. Grant Williams. This is mostly where... off the table, but if reporting is to be believed, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, this is where things start to get a little interesting for the Celtics. So um, Grant Williams has, I don't think it's any secret now for Celtics fans and longtime listeners that um, Grant Williams has been struggling for the past couple of weeks now. Um, I think he's uh, really kind of lost a lot of his offensive impact. Um, You know, last year, Grant really emerged as a pretty solid corner three-point shooter. Um, who could make extra passes, crash the glass for offensive rebounds and putbacks and things like that, and was generally kind of finding his role as a 3 and D wing in the mold of a P.J. Tucker or something like that. Um, this year, his offensive game has fallen off a little bit. Um, in particular, he's trying to incorporate some new stuff, which in theory makes a lot of sense. You know, having a little bit of an off-the-dribble game, I think, is probably a reasonable thing to look to develop in uh, you know, the course of an NBA career like Grant's. That being said, this year the Celtics have championship expectations and uh, role players taking possessions to you know, work on their dribble drive game in a contract year might be uh, unappetizing <laughs> to some Celtics fans. But for me, the much bigger issue has been that Grant has slipped pretty significantly on the defensive end. Uh, whereas last year, he was a bit lighter and he was moving on the perimeter a little bit more effectively to kind of cut off the point of attack and get in the way of uh, smaller guards and, uh, you know, wings right around his size. This year, it feels like Grant has been a step late on a lot of rotations. It's been harder for him to kind of close out on shooters, which is something that he got pretty good at by the end of last year. And in general, I think you're kind of starting to see that um, Joe Mazzulla is not trusting him as much in those assignments. So last night, for example, Sam Hauser got the start uh, in what would normally be, I think, early in the season, a situation where Grant Williams probably would have gotten the start with Jalen Brown out. Sam Hauser got the start and it paid off. He played pretty well. He you know, got 15 points. He was, I believe, five of six from deep and generally had a pretty solid game. Um, the fact that Grant didn't get that start and in general did not have a very good game last night, I believe he only had two points and at one point got swatted by Hamadou Diallo in a pretty embarrassing fashion. To me, that suggests that at least as of right now, Grant's got some work to do to kind of reestablish his value and role in this rotation. And then inevitably that does bring up the question of 
is the Celtics deadline move going to be one that involves Grant Williams specifically considering that his payday is coming up this offseason? Yeah, so that's the calculus, right? It's if if Boston wants to resign him at $15 million next year, it seems like that's something they'd be down with multiple years, kind of the heir apparent to Al Horford. If Grant Williams is expecting to get $20 million from, I don't know, the Orlando Magic or the Spurs or one of the few cap space teams, that might be too rich for Boston's blood, in which case they can get ahead of letting him walk for nothing. I suspect that that would be the only case where the team would look to make a move is if they have really good intel that someone's going to throw the bag at him and they're not going to want to pay it, or they learn from Grant or other otherwise that he doesn't want to be here. Because not only is, you know, the proof was in the playoff pudding and maybe he's having a, a slump, but it's February and um, January. What he did last year deserves, you know, pretty long leash. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out that he's a hugely popular guy in the locker room and the chemistry is great in this team. You don't really want to fuss with that over the eighth or ninth guy on the bench. I don't think so. The reporting right now, I I think comes from what we've identified. Maybe he's not playing his best ball and maybe there are new questions about his long-term fit in Boston. It's also worth pointing out that every front office is making a hundred calls this week kicking as many tires as they can find because that's your job that's what they're paid to do and so when you know you read a report that the Miami Heat had interest in Grant Williams it's not necessarily the case that they called Brad Stevens and said what can we do to get Grant Williams here is an offer so much as they just you know talked about it so the very specific reporting uh, parlance around an offer was made or they had a conversation around that doesn't usually trickle out, uh, especially in things that get aggregated by, I don't know, sites like Celtics wire. Um, so I think that's part of it too. Now we don't have to dwell on grant much longer, but you did raise the point that perhaps it's a feedback loop and the, the conversation about his bad play or the conversation about him possibly being moved is affecting his play. Yeah. Um, do you want to expand on that just briefly? I mean, you know, I self- just self-explanatory. Yeah, it's self-explanatory, but I think it's worth mentioning that um, and, you know, kind of keeping this in the vein of what we were talking about with Sway earlier, um, you know, players hear this stuff and players are human. And Grant Williams, I think, has every right to want to, you know, try and pursue this contract, his next contract and try and get as much as he can. That makes complete sense. Um, I think what's challenging about that is that as it stands right now, Grant Williams is a role player, and maybe he will become more than a role player in the near future, but it might be the case that his timeline is not aligning with a year where Boston is truly all in, like they are trying to win the title this year. Um, and I think that as stuff like this kind of progresses, particularly you know, with contracts deadlines coming up soon for Grant and uh, you know, kind of thinking, all right, well, you know, we're in a championship year, the playoff rotation is probably going to get tightened. Am I going to be seeing the floor enough and making a big of enough impact to get the contract that I think I'm worth? That's going to be something that I think will get into anybody's head, not just Grant Williams. I think in any situation, people want to be where they can kind of maximize their value and contribute the most. And with basketball being the sport that it is, often when players get overly concerned about what they can do to contribute, what is their role, that can affect their play on the court and can cause people to get in their head. It's something, you know, I, you know, 
I think pretty much anybody who plays basketball, regardless of whether you're a pro or not, can uh, identify with the experience of being a little bit in your head and having that mess up your shot form. Like that is a thing that happens. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if for Grant, uh, the kind of combination of frustration with his play, um, kind of lack of clarity, or maybe a, la a, a lack of kind of, uh, you know, clarity on his contract and, and thinking about like what that's going to look like. And then also um, the real possibility that, you know, his role is, I don't think necessarily set in stone for this team heading into the trade deadline and then kind of after the all-star break. Those are factors that can contribute to uh, a whole variety of things, including a declining play. Now, I will say if Grant makes it through the trade deadline and is still in a Celtics uniform, I think there's a chance that you could see that play pick up a little bit, particularly, you know, with kind of things weighing on him the way that they are. Um, obviously, that's kind of a knock on wood aspirational goal. We'll see. But uh, I, I'm not ready to, like, give up on Grant Williams and say that he's never going to be an impactful player in the NBA again. Uh, I think he can be. I think the question for me is whether he's going to be able to be that guy this year when the margin for error for Boston is really quite slim. Yeah, man, I, I want to go back to what uh, Daisha said about humanizing NBA players. The trade deadline is just the worst because, man, I, I'd be so bad at my job if they were like, we might trade you to another high school or if Justin was like, we might trade you to a different podcast. Um, I wouldn't be very good at my job. And Grant's 24, you know, Apropos of the more serious stuff that's happening with the Grizzlies, perhaps, reportedly, allegedly, the knock on the Grizzlies is that they're they're young and maybe the moment is too big. Guess what? The Boston Celtics are young. Grant Williams is 24. Um, we've, we've talked about this with Tatum ad nauseum about, you know, he's just coming into his prime as an adult and as a basketball player. So is Grant Williams. He is a younger basketball player. So I think all of that is fair. I also think that because it's the trade deadline, and the, the machine doesn't stop. We're talking about this. And if the trade deadline wasn't a thing or it had already passed, we wouldn't even think twice about <laughs> talking about Grant right now. Let's keep it moving. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about Pritchard. I, I don't have anything new on Pritchard. Do you have anything new on Pritchard? Not really. I think, you know, it makes sense that he's in trade deadline rumors, but I would have a pretty hard time seeing Boston move off of him, not just because of his role and value to the team, but also because he doesn't make a lot of money and I don't get the sense that he has a ton of trade value. Yeah, part. I mean, part of it is just the jigsaw of adding up salaries gets really complicated. To that end, that's kind of why I think this is going to be a nothing burger is Pritchard plus Grant plus Gallo is still only like, 11 million dollars in salary which is not a ton to play with and yeah. are you bringing back a player that is worth upending that much for your roster in your locker room i would be yeah. really surprised if gallo is dealt just because that would also compromise their ability to use the designated player exception from his injury uh in a buyout market i would be i would be genuinely very surprised if gallo is not uh, a part of this team heading into the all-star break and beyond yeah uh, I've teased this before, but we talked with Yossi Goslin of Hoops I, a few weeks back about the specifics of the finances around the Celtics and the trade deadline. So people should check that out if they have if they want an hour of legalese for Boston specifically. Last week, we talked to um, Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report about some of the biggest names rumored to be tied to the Celtics. We're not going to do that so much here, so check that out. But we have a few more things that I'd like to cover, including 
not a DPE, but a TPE. Boston has a $5.89 million traded player exception from the Dennis Schroeder dealio, um, which I kind of forgot about for most of the season, if we're being frank. That doesn't offer too much for the Celtics, but what it means is they, you know, they could trade two picks and re receive someone who's making that much money. It is worth pointing out that because Boston is a tax-paying team, even if they legally could bring in someone making $5 million, it adds like $20 million to the tax bill. So it's it's not 100% certain that the ownership group would want that, even though they've kind of publicly said go out and spend. Anyways, I looked at the list of NBA salaries and I couldn't come up with too many names. Um, Korkmaz over in Philly, if he's out of the rotation there, I don't know, making, maybe taking a flyer on that is interesting. Otherwise, Robin Lopez was my favorite pick there. Um, he might just say, no, I live in Disney World now. You can't make me leave. But if Boston is in the market for a veteran, reliable, known quantity, big man, Robin Lopez is a little slow-footed, but I wouldn't hate you know throwing a second-round pick, give Orlando their second-round pick back for a little Robin Lopez rental. Do you have any yeah. TPE names or TPE thoughts? Well, well, there's one name that popped up today in my feed that uh, kind of struck, you know, some level of interest with me and would fit in that salary, which is that it sounds like the Chicago Bulls are making Derek Jones available. Um, Derek Jones has had a perfectly fine NBA career as a rotation big man. I don't think he would like rock your socks or change, you know, your world as a title contender, but I think he could give you some decent, decent minutes as a small ball five and a four. Um, his shooting has kind of been the knock on him. He's never been a particularly great shooter, but he's long, he's athletic. Um, and I think if you're looking for somebody to give Robert Williams a breather while still maintaining a nice presence around the rim, Derek Jones could be a guy to look at. Yeah. I mean, since, since September, we've been saying it's going to be Mike Muscala. So keep an eye out for that. You're a big Chumo Kiki guy. I am fine on Chumo Kiki. Um, I, I don't feel I don't know one why, way or the I don't other. know why I think of you as his biggest cheerleader. Um, <laughs> I think you might be thinking of me being a Georgie Jang guy, which I am. <laughs> I, think of, I think of Justin as a Georgie Jang guy. Uh, who, both of those players would fit into the TPE. I mean, that's the thing is, again, let's try to humanize these people. But if you want to just like open the list of player salaries, by process of elimination, there's just guys that it doesn't make sense for the Celtics to try to find a role for it doesn't make sense for the Celtics to try to pay, or it doesn't make sense for another team to trade. Um, so I am starting to think that that TPO TPE might not go used. Um, and again, looking at the buyout market, there's also, again, that, that episode we did with Yossi Goslin, the buyout market also just like more favorable for the tax bill. And Boston is a wealthy team. It doesn't have the deepest purse. So all of that, unfortunately, like comes into play. That's true, but they do have a pretty good amount of cash to throw around for a buyout player. Um, so oh, for sure, you know, I'm saying that's cheaper for the team, so they they might do that. Yeah, for uh, financial reasons. And I think they will also be in a prime position to capitalize on the market and get play. Like some of the best players on the buyout market are going to be talking with Boston. I would imagine both for the fact that there's going to be a clear role. Um, some decent guaranteed money. And then also um, the fact that, you know, the Celtics have championship aspirations. And I think players who think they can carve out a role in this rotation and then use that to kind of bounce into a bigger payday would definitely be looking pretty hard at Boston. One more name I want to throw out as a possible TPE candidate is Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, I think it depends a lot on 
what's going on with New Orleans bid rotation. It sounds like there's a lot of flux there between Jackson Hayes, Jones Valanciunas, obviously Zion coming back, who knows, but uh, that might be one to look at. But uh, I do think it's it's time, Cameron. We have to talk about the big one. Isaiah Thomas's birthday? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the one. That's the main thing well, that I want to talk about. Happy birthday, IT. We love you. Well, I was just saying uh, concerning buyouts, um, I wonder if Al Horford and Blake Griffin being on the team makes it a little more attractive because, you know, you could join the Lakers and hang out with a bunch of old guys or you could join the Celtics and hang out with a bunch of young guys, except the Celtics have a few old guys. So I do wonder if that matters to... I don't know, Carmelo Anthony or whoever. Um, I knew this was coming back to Melo. <laughs> yeah, it always does. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny, the buyout market historically, like championships are very, 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 very rarely won or lost on the yeah. buyout market. Almost never. Except a PJ Brown came to the Celtics and was like so crucial for that championship run. Well, so you never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I feel so biased towards it can be a good thing, even though, again, historically and statistically, it's it's exceedingly rare for a buyout player to become a consequential role yeah. piece for a championship team. I think for me, the thing I'm looking for for a buyout player is just someone who can give the main rotation guys a little bit of a breather for the back half of the regular season. If we get somebody who can accomplish that, I am all good. I've, I've been a fan of PJ Brown my entire life. And when it came to this, I just... It has made me so biased talking about the buyout market. Um, yeah. Anyways, for folks who don't want to listen to us talk about Kyrie Irving, because why would you uh, like and subscribe to this podcast? And we'll catch you. Actually, by the time that we have another episode, the trade deadline will have come and gone. And I think it's safe to assume LeBron will have moved into the all-time scoring thing. And it's not important, but I will just say... It's been the honor of a lifetime to cheer and jeer LeBron James. Everything I know as an NBA fan has really come through that lens because um, I'm just young enough that like pre-LeBron era is pretty fuzzy. Um, he's quite good at basketball. He's quite has good been at for basketball. many years. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever... Yeah, uh, you've heard my LeBron story. I, I don't yeah. need to tell it right now. Okay, anyways, we're going to talk about Kyrie. So if you're done with that, as well you might be. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Otherwise... We are going to talk about how it impacts the Eastern Conference. So it is related to the Celtics. Yeah. But I fucking hate Kyrie Irving. Ah, oh, man. And, and my analysis of this is very different now that he deleted his apology for the anti-Semitic bullshit. And um, by the way, had a press conference, introductory press conference uh, with Dallas Mavericks, where in typical Kyrie Irving fashion, he created a massive word salad signifying nothing. Uh, just like at no point did I think, oh, he answered that question. No, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, everyone knows he plays for the Mavericks now. Um, I think the Mavericks did quite well for them. I mean, the, the Nets did quite well for themselves. They got future picks. They got role players for now. Um, and the other packages that were reportedly offered to them were also quite strong. I mean, I think they had a good, they did a good job of taking uh, the most disgruntled professional athlete and somehow turning it into assets and players. I mean, what a foolish thing to go trade for Kyrie Irving. You could, you could have asked me, hey, is there anyone on planet Earth that you would like to uh, hire as an employee for your organization? And I'd probably go through like seven and a half billion people before I landed on Kyrie Irving because that dude 
Look, yeah. he, he donates endlessly. He has done so many good things for so many people behind the scenes without need of the spotlight. He's not a rotten, rotten, rotten person or anything like that. He's ostensibly a good man. But as an employee and a teammate, no, he's not. He's not. <laughs> he's not. Um, so I wouldn't want to, to work with him. I wouldn't want to be his teammate. I, I Dude, Luca. Luca's not going to be in the Mavs for much longer after this charade, or the Mavs are going to let him walk this summer and they're going to have burned important assets. It's just, what a stupid move from the Mavericks. Yeah, it smacks of a, a team that is desperate to make up for the fact that they made a mistake in the offseason in letting Jalen Brunson walk um, and now have to pay assets just to get back to um, a potential shot at the title this year. Although, I got to be honest, I, I don't see it from a basketball standpoint like let's take all of the Kyrie Irving stuff that comes with it just off the table for now from a basketball standpoint offensively yes Kyrie Irving is a brilliant creator scorer shooter all of that all of that is true and all of that has been true um Kyrie Irving is still not a very good defender still needs yeah. the, still needs the ball a ton to be at his most effective in a situation where Luka Doncic might be one of the actual best ball handlers in the NBA from a pure shot creation standpoint. And I just get the sense that he's really not the player that he was in 2016 when he was ripping off 45 point games in the finals left and right. You know, we saw last year what happened with Kyrie Irving um, in the playoffs against Boston. He had one game where he was electric, on fire, couldn't miss, scoring at will seemingly. Uh, and then for the rest of that series, he was a ghost. He was, yeah. you know, breaking things left and right. He was using offense a ton, like just throwing up shots. And when he's not efficiently scoring, when he's kind of doing this takeover mode thing that he does and the ball is not dropping, he becomes a massive liability on the court from a defensive perspective. And he's taking away valuable shots from other guys. Uh, his offense doesn't like help teams flow or get to that state where, you know, the ball is pinging around the perimeter and everybody is kind of getting hot at the same time. That's, that's not Kyrie Irving's game. It is so isolation heavy. It is so individual dependent. And he, yes, he can form an elite two-man game with Luka Doncic. I don't think anybody's doubting that. There are going to be moments particularly over the rest of the season where Kyrie and Luka are going to look unstoppable on offense. I don't think anybody's doubting that. But when the rubber meets the road and you have to go up against Memphis or Denver or the Clippers and big physical wings and guards that can beat you at the point of attack off the dribble, I just don't really see from a fit standpoint how this is going to work, particularly with Dallas giving up their best defensive player in Dorian Finney-Smith in the deal. Now, Dallas could make more moves and I anticipate that they will try to make more moves around the deadline. So we have to kind of take this with a grain of salt. But when push comes to shove, I just don't know that this is the move that gets Dallas all the way. And given where Kyrie might be headed in the offseason, I, I think this strikes me as a particularly bad case of asset management from the Mavericks. Yeah, unless this is like a weird bait and switch where they're going to trade Luca and Kyrie for Anthony Davis or something. I don't get it. The NBA regular season doesn't matter, like at all. It, it, it is not particularly predictive. Cameron, don't say that. Well, now the listeners are going to know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I hope they all, the smart ones already 
logged off. I mean, the ones who are listening must be real masochists. Um, but we love you all the same. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are two and a half months if you want to go the distance. And I can't think of the last time Kyrie Irving has gone two and a half months with consistent effort on the basketball court. To say nothing of the off the court distractions, to say nothing of the craziness that comes with uh, what he does when he's not playing basketball. To your point, he checks out. He doesn't string it together on defense. He gets ISO heavy. He doesn't play like a superstar consistently, and he's not going to be able to do it for two and a half months. We haven't seen him do it for two and a half months since he was playing against alongside LeBron James, where you don't have to do it for two and a half months because someone else is doing it for most of the time. So it's just, I can't imagine being a basketball person, seeing what the Cavs did with LeBron at first go around, landing Luka Doncic in your lap and being this unbelievably poor at managing a roster. A, a monkey at a keyboard would come up with better trades than, than what they've come up with. It's just, I don't know if it's arrogance or ignorance or what, but what the literal hell? Even Atlanta's doing better with Trey Young. <laughs> and that's a disaster too. Man. All right, we should flip. Look at the the Kings go. The the takeaway here is that the Kings won that draft. I love the Kings. They're playing so well right now. Yeah. Um, Let's just just call it. We got a basketball game tonight. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the rent. Well, let's maybe touch just very briefly on the Nets return on this trade, just because I do think it is kind of interesting. Um, Oh, yeah. I did say that we would talk about how this affects the East. Okay. Yeah. So Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a first rounder and a second rounder coming back. Obviously, uh, Markeith Morris is also going out to Dallas or rather has gone out to Dallas at this point. Um, Not a major part of the Nets rotation, though. Um, Cameron, I'll, I'll throw this to you. Am I crazy or is this Nets team now like kind of fun and good? <laughs> this Nets team rocks. I used to love rooting for the Kenny uh, Atkinson. Uh, Atkinson? Yeah. Okay. I Kenny Atkins. Is Kenny Atkins a person? A diet? It's a diet. Um, anyways, I used to love rooting for those Nets teams. They're just fun. They had nothing to, to lose, everything to prove. And now this is a motley crew and I love Kevin Durant. I'll be honest. I find it so fun to root for Kevin Durant on and off the court. Um, so I don't know. This, this Nets team can't win a championship. I mean, they'll be I don't think so. But, but I they're think fun. They, they're super fun. They're fun. And they have valuable pieces that I think can emerge as important contributors to winning basketball. I have been a huge fan of Dorian Finney-Smith for a minute now. I think that guy is a grinder. He does everything you want from a 3 and D wing perspective. He doesn't need the ball to be super effective. And by all accounts, it seems like he's a great locker room and culture guy as well. Like that, I he think. He was Luca's best friend. I mean, that's part of this too. What the yeah. hell were they thinking? Yeah. Um, so you got Dorian Finney-Smith. Obviously, you've got the homecoming with Spencer Dinwiddie, a player who you know played for the Brooklyn Nets for a minute there, um, and seems to be pretty excited to be back. Um, you know, you look up and down the rotation. You've got now eight or nine guys that can actually play. I think meaningful basketball. You've got Dinwiddie. You've got DFS. Um, Cam Thomas has been on an absolute heater for the past couple games. Yeah. Uh, you know, that guy is putting up monster numbers and seems like he is filling the bucket getter role pretty adequately. Uh, Yuta Watanabe, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton, of course, is in the running for defensive player of the year. Like this Nets team has some real guys. Uh, you except. Know, except for uh, the, the big fellow that makes it all work, Kevin Durant. Who no, is... except for Ben Simmons. The problem well, is all their... All their cap is tied up 
And this, they have to pay him $40 million for the next two, two consecutive years, 80, to, 80 total million dollars. I mean, until they move Ben Simmons, it's like, oh, this is so fun. Oh, wait. Oh, this They're is great. Oh, wait. Ben Simmons. And they can't. They, yeah, they, they can't. can't. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the big thing that I think does hang over this is that Kevin Durant needs to be healthy for any of this to work. Um, and right now he is not. Uh, just got an update from Woj saying that he's going to be out through the All-Star yeah, break. All-Star break yeah. um, so, you know, it sounds like he's making progress. He'll be back on the court soon. I guess the question is, how is, like, you're going to need time to get Kevin Durant to even fit with these guys in the first place. And then, you know, the looming question of whether Kevin Durant even wants to be in Brooklyn past this season. I think we both agree that he's not getting traded, but uh, the question of whether he even wants to be in Brooklyn after this season is interesting. But at the very least, it seems like the Nets have got some guys that um, can contribute to winning basketball now and could potentially be pieces for uh, trades down the line if that's an avenue that they want to take. Yeah, as much as we just lampooned Kyrie Irving, I do think that this takes the Nets and degrades them such that they are not quite in the same class as the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Bucks. But all of that could change by, by Thursday afternoon. So um, let's put a pin in that and uh, perhaps return to the new look Nets, the new new look Nets, or um, as we've established, they're pretty good, but uh, uh, I like the Celtics odds a little bit. Just a little bit more. Anyways, thanks for listening to our podcast. Thanks to uh, the, the likers and the subscribers. Thanks to Dacia Smith, associate editor of Slime Magazine. And Alex, I'll see you in... Do you want to ride to the game? Um, sure, if you want to give me one. Okay, I'll see you in the game. All right. Peace. Adios.